Today, I uh, am excited to share with you about uh, what we talk a lot about around here. It's the G word. The gospel. And today, as we talk about it, I hope you like to drink it straight. Because it's straight today. It's There's no mix in the drink today. It's really for you today. In other words, I'm asking you to drink it. Don't hand the cup to somebody else. Don't don't hope that somebody else has maybe would be here and can belly up to the bar with you. No. This is for you. This is for me today. It's a pretty sacrilegious illustration, isn't it? You'd never think that you'd be able to come to the church and think that you could drink the gospel. But today that's what we're here to do. I want to talk to you about these two concepts that are on the board today that really fit in with the Colossians series that we've been in. I want to talk to you about rescue today. And I want to talk to you about kingdom today. And I want to talk to you about two very other, two other important words. And one of the words is this word. Oops. That's a G. G. Gilligan. Then I want to talk to you about the world's worst movie ever made called Castaway. I didn't even spell that right either. How many of you remember this show? You, oh, that's not bad. I thought I was drinking. I thought I was, you know, thinking you guys were going to be uh, not you. Not knowing what Gilligan's Island is, maybe one of the most popular television cheesy shows ever um, in the history of sitcom. Um, but I'll come back to Gilligan in a little bit, and I'll come back to Castaway, a movie about a man who talked to a volleyball for two hours. <laughs> we'll have fun with that too. Anyway, but turn to Colossians chapter 1. This is where we're at in the series today. The, uh, the context that I think is important for us all to grab onto is that um, I want you to understand uh, that this, this little infant church, uh, the church at Colossae, was a very young church that was trying to understand what the cross meant. Paul is a phenomenal expositor if you will, or teacher, educator of what the gospel is. God chose him for a reason. And he takes pains to explain to these people what the gospel really is all about, what the cross really means. And so if you look there in uh, Colossians 1, we are in verse 13 and 14 today. And look what it says. For he, let's just go slow through it so you can really get it. And I can really get it. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As I talked to you initially here about this this word here, rescue, 
I want to tell you, maybe some of you that were with me before, uh, have been with me for a while, I should say, maybe remember this story, but I've got to tell it again. Because it was really um, the most dramatic rescue operation I've ever been involved in in my life. Every one of us, that you, a lot of guys that are pastors cut their teeth on youth ministry. We were youth ministers before we were pastors. And when we're youth ministers, we did a lot of crazy and stupid things with, um, with young people and took a lot of crazy chances with young people. And I loved the idea of being able to take kids on trips. And, you know, you, you guys have all done that. You've all gone to camps and trips and mission trips and stuff like that. And it's where people get into, you know, a lot of trouble and pretend they learn about God. And so the, the, the whole concept is, is that uh, the, I took these 25 people and we were going to go to Pennsylvania. I think it was Union, Pennsylvania, Union City. Uh, and we were going to take a day of whitewater rafting. We were going to take a day of uh, mountain biking. And we were going to take a day of spelunking, the official word for cave exploring. And uh, so sure enough, we get to the spelunking day and this guy comes out. He sets us up. I can't give you every detail. Twenty five kids. I, you know, unbelievable parents coming up to me before the trip. Is little Susie going to be OK? And what are you guys going to be doing? And I told her, I said, well, there's this that we're going to we're going to go spelunking one day. We're going to like hike a mile into the earth, into the earth. You know, and these mamas are like, oh, my gosh, no, you know, it was terrible. Okay, it was, it was rough for them to understand. So we get them all together. They we get all the kids, the helmets, you know, little straps, little beam flashlight and get everybody together and we begin to we go through this little crevice that's not more than what you know six by three and we sneak into this crevice all 25 of us and we begin to walk into this cave and we keep going and going and the only way to explain this place to you would be as you walk down into this place the boulders in this place are as big as this church they're as big as this, as big as this roof and more. Where you, you, you walk over one, you crawl in a crevice, and this one, and you're down here in this one. We get about probably an hour and a half down in the earth in this giant place, and I have everybody turn their lights off, and I, we talk about the gospel and the light of the world. You know, Jesus and the light of the world. It was really cool. We decided to hike another hour in. So here we go, down another hour in, and we're kind of climbing around, and we're all in this little line. We're trying to crawl up this little crevice, this little area, so we can go on to this next level. And this girl that's behind me, probably two people behind me, goes to grab for her handhold and loses it and falls. And I hear, I just, I mean, like a bone, just went like that. And I went, yeah, just like all you did, go. I mean, it's just one of those ones that just sends a shiver right up your spine. And as soon as it happened, you have like 10 people in the room going, bone broken. You know, I mean, you know, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody then turns into Pac-Man Central, just running around. Oh, my gosh, what do we do? We're in the Earth's surface. We're a mile, we're a mile and a half below. We're, you know, my, you know it's just unbelievable. What's going to happen? Joel, what are we going to do? And, you know, people looking at me. And, and I'm, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm just a dude, man. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm... Right, let's get out of here. <laughs> and uh, finally, everything kind of calms down. One of my one of my volunteers. You always have. You always love these dudes. Usually, they're medical people or engineers that are really pragmatic about about tragedies. Okay, this is what we need to happen. Pop, pop, pop. And you love these people. Then you know. You know what I'm saying? Personalities like mine, you don't want them in tragedy. Look, what are you doing to us? You know, like Jonah, you know, I mean, it's just terrible. So I have one of these guys comes to me, Joel, you you, you know, I'm paramedic. He says that to me. He says, yes, Dan, I know. He says, here's what we need to do. I'm going up top. I'm taking a couple guys with me. I'm going to go get fire rescue. 
Um, uh, can't the Lord just drill a hole in the earth? And can't we be lifted out, like levitated? Uh, an Old Testament miracle. How about that? You know, well, that wasn't going to work, right? So sure enough, he goes, and I'm, I'm the caregiver to Kelly, who's broken her ankle. And uh, down there, three hours. Got started to get kind of cold. I was real afraid that she was going to go into shock. I was real afraid that she was going to get too cold. I was real afraid she was going to have enough liquids because we, we were trying to ration the liquids. We felt like some movie, you know. And uh, about three hours later, I look and I see all these little tiny lights coming down towards us. And over 20 firefighters from the area come walking down with this Stokes basket and rope. And uh, these are, all I could explain to you about these dudes, is these are like the greatest men ever. And just tobacco chewing, spitting, just getting it done, you know? These guys are the guys that you'd want to, you know, you'd walk into the seventh ring of hell with. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these are unbelievable dudes, you know? It's all right, just strap her up. Okay, you guys do this. And I'm just going, thank you, God, I'm being directed, right? Rescue operations starts, I think we ended up starting at about at about three. We didn't end up getting to the top because we're pulling this Stokes basket. We all had turns pulling this rope, this girl through crevices, up, up giant boulders like this. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, 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 many times she's like that. And she's moaning, as you would, broken, right? Thank God one of the guys had Tylenol, right? Gave her some Tylenol. I said, drug her, give her whatever, just put her out, you know? <laughs> we get to the top, I walk out the door, and uh, there's an, isn't it Andy Warhol who says, everybody has their five minutes of fame? Is that who said that? You have always have your five minutes of fame, and my five minutes of fame was here it was, because as I walk out, all the TV news cameras... And the first thing I thought of was not being popular. All I, all I could think of was little Miss Smith in Northville, Michigan, watching me come out and look, thinking about her daughter that's going to be there, is what I was thinking. I was going, oh my gosh, I don't, you know, I don't want to be in the news. You know, I'll be getting out, you know, my pastor will be calling me, you're fired, dude. You know what I mean? It's terrible, right? So I, I did the thing that I didn't know why I did it, but he comes up and he goes, sir, do you have a comment? I go, no comment. I, to this day, I have no, no idea why I said no comment. I just didn't have a comment. <laughs> that kind of story that I just described for you is the kind of story that is the kind of imagery, is the kind of drama, is the kind of epic, big scale that Paul's talking about when he's talking about this concept of rescue. For you have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and he wants us to understand the rescue concept. And as I was studying this week, I was amazed at how many people I was studying that says this whole thing captures totally and wants to capture what was happening in the Old Testament of why God sent Moses to rescue who? The Israelites from the Egyptians. And we've all heard that story. But the whole point of this is many of these folks came along and, and as I was reading them said, this totally equates to what took place in the Old Testament in Exodus. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you a snippet. I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to hear from me because you're going to find out as we think about this rescue word with the parallels that are involved in the Old Testament and now the parallels that are going to be involved in the New Testament as we think about Christ and we think about this concept of rescue. 
In Exodus, God is speaking to Moses at the burning bush. Follow along now. You've heard this before, but I want you to lean in. And he says this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Listen, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. I am sending you, Moses, to bring them out. And for those who have read this before, you know that Moses begins to argue with God. Who am I that I should go? Translated, I'm not good enough. And Moses later says to the Lord, Oh, please send someone else to do it. Translated, I'm scared. I don't have what it takes. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh and ends up saying to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may hold a festival with me in the desert. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know your Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Well, Pharaoh gets so mad that he ends up doubling the work of the Israelites He makes them make double the bricks and triple the bricks, and he actually begins to torture the Israelites. And things get real bad. And the Israelite foreman comes to Moses, and he says this to Moses, This is crazy stupid. Ever since you guys showed up, our work has doubled and people are being killed. Moses hears this report. And he gets discouraged because he could possibly not equate the fact that they could be dealing with difficulties and issues. If God has given him a rescue plan, he couldn't possibly allow us to go through difficulties and struggles. And so Moses decides that he's going to go and take God to the woodshed. You ever done that before? I said it right. You take God to the woodshed. You ask God the questions, a lot like Job. We have a patient God who apparently, he will allow this, but he had a point with Job, too, that he didn't allow it. Interesting, by the way, another whole book to read for you. He goes to God and he actually says this, Why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And you have, listen now, and you have not rescued your people at all. Translated, you're not a rescuer, God. All you do is cause me pain and trouble. How come you don't fit into my rescue plans for these people? You're making my life miserable. And here's God's response. Are you ready to hear it? Count how many times the word or letter I is in what I tell you. The Lord says this to him. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I established my covenant with them. 
I have heard their groaning. I have remembered my covenant. I am the Lord. I will bring them out from under the yoke of Egyptians. I will free them from slavery. I will redeem them with an outstretched arm. I will take them as my people. I will be their God. I am the Lord their God. I will bring them to the land I swore them. I am the Lord. Moses is convinced. And, he, and it says in Exodus 6-9 that he went and he reported this to the Israelites and the whole operation began to take place. Now go back to Colossians. Look there in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Stop. This is exactly what Paul is reporting to the Colossians and exactly what Paul wants to teach us. God has enacted and unfolded a very big and dramatic epic rescue plan. And at the center of that rescue plan is a man and a cross. He is telling us, now follow this, because this is the parallel that you need to grab, because it's the beauty of the Old Testament. Just as God saw the horrible tyranny that Pharaoh had placed on the Israelites, listen, Just as God saw the horrible tyranny that Pharaoh had placed on the Israelites, God sees the horrible tyranny that the domain of darkness and sin has placed on us. Do you get it? The same same God saw, but it's just differently. He saw that physically, and now He sees us spiritually because of the fall. Just as the Israelites were under the yoke, look now, the yoke burdened under Pharaoh's rule, we, before Christ, are under the yoke and burdened by sin. Do you get it? Just as the Israelites were crying out and groaning because of the Egyptian slave drivers, we are crying out and groaning because of our slave driver sin. We didn't have a chance. It wouldn't be like Castaway. How did Tom Hanks get off the island? Remember? Figured it out himself. Made a raft. Finally got home. That's not what, that's not God's plan. God's plan is that no, you, you don't try to figure it out because there's no figuring it out. In reality, by the time you hit the first wave, you're eaten by sharks. I'm sending you Jesus to be a rescuer. Jesus showed up. Let me give you an illustration. For those of you that have been here before, maybe you've heard me say, uh, talk about this. I've had a lot of pain in my life due to the fact of my both of my parents have both passed away and had a really, really very blessed and graced childhood with my mom and dad. And my mom died young. And um, I remember after she died, um, about a couple weeks after the funeral, my dad and I were golfing, and um, my dad looked at me and he said, "Uh, when do you think it would be okay for me to consider marrying again? I was furious when he asked that. I I was livid, because all I could think about was, you narcissistic do you think that this whole lo- this whole thing is about you? But I was I was very obtuse to his pain. And by the way, I want you to know I'm a very I'm a great I'm a righteous avenger. 
Do you know that? I have great justice about everyone else in my life except me. I, 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 I'm, it's crystal clear about your justice and about my dad's. My own? Come on, mercy, please. Right? Two hours later, he looks at me and he goes, because I, I hadn't responded. He looks at me and he goes, he goes, I've, I've walked into hot territory, haven't I? And I said, you better believe your big butt you have. And I wanted to say like many other swear words along that. So we talk about it. We talk about it. We talk about it. We keep talking about it. We're talking about some more. We're on, we're on talk 18. Same t- topic. He wants to understand it. He doesn't understand me. I want to understand him. He doesn't, I don't want to understand him. By the way, let me ask you a side note. It, is he worth the 18 conversations? Go ahead, you can answer. Is, is my dad worth the 18 conversations? Um, he's worth... 18 times 180 million, isn't he? And by the way, just to let you know, your friends and your brother and your husband and your wife and these things that you're dealing with, they're worth 18,000 conversations. Remember that. Don't give up. The Lord will rescue when He wants to rescue it goes back and forth. It gets pretty tough. I move out to Colorado. My dad lives in Michigan. We get into a conversation on the phone. Conversation 38. I look at him or I say to him on the phone, I said, Dad, if you bring this, this up again, I'm hanging up on you. I don't want you to call me or talk to me. I will call you. I will talk to you. I will initiate the conversation. I've been that mad with my father. Have you ever been that way? That mad with mom and dad or somebody else? He goes, Joel, I don't understand. Brings it back up. Click. I felt horrible and good at the same time. I hadn't heard from him in two weeks. I'm out into camp in Colorado at Silvercliff Ranch, up at Mount Princeton. I'm sitting there at lunch, talking with some friends, and my dad walks in. And it laid me out. Because I was so horrible to him. But I want you to know something. That's what love does. That's what our Redeemer has done for you. My dad got on the jet and flew 1,500 miles out to see me because he knew my groaning And he knew the yoke of burden that was on my life because of my mother's death. And he responded. Ended up spending three of the best days of my life with him. And I want you to know something, my young friend. Jesus Christ showed up for you. He has heard your cry. He has heard your groaning. He has seen the yoke of slavery, the yoke of burden on your life. And He has showed up. And He outstretched His arms on a cross for you and for me. And that's what Paul's talking about here. 
He's talking about this concept of Jesus. He descended, Jesus, into the blackness and the darkness and the cave of this world only to bring us a well-lit hope. He gave us that hope by placing his body on a cross. And now we have redemption. Now we actually have forgiveness. I told you it was going to be straight gospel. And I've come to believe something about forgiveness. And it's this. It's the thing that I yearn for every half hour of my life. I want it so bad. And I don't want it from you. I want it somebody who I can confess it to, who can actually absolve me. And that's Jesus. What does this all mean to us? Look there at the scripture. What does this all mean, the fact that we've been rescued? What could this possi- What could the ramifications possibly be? Look there in verse 13. Let's look what it says. For he has rescued us from, look at it, it says, the dominion of darkness. I want you to understand something. That because of the fall and sin's curse, there's a dominion that darkness and Satan hold sway over every single one of our hearts. That you will not and cannot get out of without a divine intervention, and that intervention is Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about. You've been rescued, and it's far more dramatic than you even think it is. You've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. And Lynn, look what it says there. And look, look, this idea. And brought us into, what does it say? The kingdom of the Son He loves. We've been transferred over. That's the concept here. From darkness, right? To light. There's a principle of transference that takes place that Paul is wanting us to understand that God brought you out. We've been transferred from darkness to light. Let me talk to you a little bit about this. My friends, would you listen to me if I told you this? Are you experiencing a lot of darkness right now in your life? You can answer that question in so many ways, and you maybe may wonder what kind of question I'm asking. But I want you to know something, that darkness always will equal hopelessness, and light, the true light, equals hope. Are things dark in your world today? Let me ask you this. Who is your rescuer? Who is it? Who is your rescuer? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Is it your job? Is it your brains? Is it your money? Is it your medicine that you take because you're absolutely shattered? And you have to take medicine to even just cope during the day? Is your medicine your rescuer? Is the way that other people think about you and your body image your rescuer? Think about it. If you actually get your body together and yourself together and you look perfect, will will you finally be rescued? Will that finally take you off the island of shame that you that you and we all want to live on? Is that our rescuer? It's such a good question for us for us to ask. Is it your pornography? 
Is it your girlfriend or your boyfriend that you don't have any problems with? Having a sexual affair with because you believe that in some way they're going to rescue you and in some way this relationship that is illicit now is, is going to turn out to be great if you just help this guy? If you just help this girl? Is it that? What, what is your rescue? Who is your rescue? It's a great question to ask because Paul is saying here, none of that is your rescue. We have one rescuer. When you think about your husband and your boyfriend and all these things that I just listed, here's what I want to give you an image of. Remember when I was in the cave? When I was in the cave with all, all my, my youth group friends? After three hours... I was sitting down there dark and cold and wet and I looked up and it was high and I saw the over 20 little lights. Right? You following with me? The little lights are what we think are our rescue in our life. My husband, my job, my brains, my boyfriend, my sex, my porn, my whatever. Those are all, follow this now, those are all little lights. They're not even, they're not even, they, they don't even have, have any power to illumine anything in your heart. Jesus Christ comes and he says, I am the light of the world. I am not a spark. I am not a little light. I am the largest light you could possibly, you can't even bear my glory. Do you get it? Have I in my life actually settled for the little lights? To be my rescue? All these little things that I think are finally going to take me to the top? Finally going to get me somewhere, some destination? Do I believe that? Do you believe that? The concept here in the gospel is that you've been transferred from darkness to light. And it says now, as far as our kingdom thinking, live in the light. Gilligan never made it off the island. Three years sitcom running, he and Ginger and Marianne and the Howells. Oh, they had all kinds of inventions and they wanted to figure it out, how they're going to do it. They never made it off the island. And sometimes I wonder as we think about our lives and we're down here in our lives, I wonder, do we understand that we have a Redeemer who's come and literally taken us from this kingdom and put us into another kingdom, put us into the kingdom of light? It would be like Jesus comes and says, I'm going to take you people here, I'm going to hold, grab all of you, and I'm going to take you over here, and I'm going to put you right over here. And by the way, follow this now. This whole kingdom of light is a totally different understanding of life. This is a kingdom of life that says, God, God, said to the, God said to the Israelites, I'm going to take you to a good and spacious land. Jesus says by my cross, I want you to live in the good and spacious land with me as your king. And the way that this economy works, the things you value, the things how you view your money, how you view your sex, how you view your power, everything changes in this kingdom. That kingdom is our hope. This other kingdom is not. Too much? Am I preaching too hard? I do for me, you know. It's hard for me to hear it. It's, it's hard for me. 
We've been transferred from darkness to light. This light kingdom, and I want to end on this. We've also been transferred from slavery, sorry, to what? Freedom. Redemption is a word used for the emancipation of a slave, for the buying back of something which was in the power of someone else. And if you are a Christ follower here today, you need to hear from me that you have been emancipated, bought back by Jesus. You are no longer young lady, medium-aged lady, old lady, way old lady, old man like Joel. You need to hear this. You are no longer a slave to your fears. You are no longer even a slave to your sins, even though, men, I know many of you feel like you're a slave to your sins. You are not a slave to your own helplessness. You are not a slave to your own faults and shame. You are a son. You are a daughter who lives in a free and big spacious land. But the land that you live in does not put you in the throne seat. It's another kingdom. It's a kingdom where you're not a slave, you're a free son. You're a free daughter who's deeply loved. And now you have an identity and a future, the Bible says. I love this scripture, and I'll close on this. Second Peter 2.7 says this, And if he rescued Lot, rescued Lot, the Old Testament Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. And guess what? He knows how to rescue you from yours. He continues to be our rescuer God. It's a good message. And I want you to take it into your heart today and really think about it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your scripture because uh, the things that we talk about today, we don't want to hear them. I know I don't because I want to rescue myself. Even though I've made it a shambles. I just thank you for your gospel. I I thank you for this conversation that you would even have with Moses. (laughs) That you you would even turn an ear to a people that were so far away from you. That you would you would turn an ear, you heard their groaning, and you would you would send a leader to redeem those people and our leader is Jesus Lord thank you for sending us Jesus thank you for hearing our cry I pray this morning for my friends who are living uh, maybe really feel like they're living under the real tyranny of sin and depression and addiction and Lord I pray that they would uh, open their hands and their look to the to the hills where the help really comes from comes from you We claim today as a church that you're our healer, 
that you're our redeemer, that you are our forgiver, and that you are our rescuer. Help us to understand what it really means to take those concepts and live in a, this new kingdom understanding that you have for us. We thank you uh, in your name. Amen.